Hi, this is Joe Pokesheva and Jamie Davies of Azumi World, the first and coolest NFT game that brings AR, metaverse, and token economy together. We are here on the edge of NFT, the podcast that's always augmenting your reality with the best in Web3 content. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listener. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Izumi plans to carve out a significant niche within the augmented reality NFT gaming space. And what made one of our guests first 25 cent purchase, not just about the product, but the experience. And learn how much you can expect to spend if you want the NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet from OpenSea. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features CEO Joe Polk Shiva and CMO Jamie Davies of Izumi World, the first AR metaverse that is revolutionizing pop culture through NFT gaming. Joe is an executive with 10 plus years experience in the gaming space. He was on the founding team of NRG Esports, taking it from startup to blue chip industry leader with a valuation of over 200 million at the time of his departure in 2020. Recently, he was COO of Optic Gaming, where he ran the most successful franchise in Activision Blizzard's Call of Duty League before its acquisition by Envy Gaming in 2021. Joe has a comprehensive business outlook, having also worked as an options trader on Wall Street and a marketing leader for various fintech companies. Jamie Davies has been a force in marketing for over 20 years, leading brand and D2C marketing teams at Samsung, Gatorade, Verizon, and Xbox. During his time at Xbox, he led development of central campaigns for some of gaming's most iconic franchises, including Halo, Gears of War, and Fable. Since 2021, Jamie has led all marketing initiatives for Rarible Protocol and Rarible DAO. Izumi World is an NFT-based geolocation pet battle game where players capture and train magical beasts known as Izumi from live track locations in the real world. The Izumi are both friendly and fearsome and possess wondrous magical powers that players can use to battle other players, join world events for PvE, and fight in the grand tournament known as the Ildalorian League Cup. Jamie Joe. Welcome to Edge of NFT. Yo, thanks for having us. What an intro. That was a great intro. <laughs> like that. Ethan laying it down for you guys, man. Love well, it. Awesome to have you. And guys, we like to start at the beginning, you know, and let's dive in on it. So tell us about the origin story, man. How did this project, Azumi World, come to be? Yeah, I think this project's really cool because I think what you learn is that a lot of the executives and the founder, Grant Stanley, we're all gamers first. And we all love games. And so Grant is a great story, the founder. He's your prototypical gamer. He's logged well over 10,000 hours playing games. He was also one of those, I almost call him geniuses, who got in on the crypto curve really early and started figuring out things like trading in crypto, etc. And so I think for Grant, it was just a natural evolution for him to go into the world of blockchain gaming. 
And for him, I think specifically, he saw a vision where there was this opportunity around augmented reality when it came to blockchain gaming. Because if you look at a lot of the games in the space right now, there's obviously a lot happening with web. I think we all hear about a lot of the innovation that's happening in VR, but AR is a bit of a gap. And so that was just an area I know he was very passionate about. I know he played a lot of Pokemon Go back in the day. So he just dove in and started developing this game. And then I think what's been really exciting is kind of the way the executive team here has come together. Because, you know, I think, as you said in your intro, in my previous life, I, you know, I led a lot of games marketing, you know, on Halo, Gears of War, Fable, etc. I started going down the rabbit hole on crypto and blockchain around 2018. And I had that prototypical moment that I think all of us have when the light bulb goes off around Web3. And when I really realized everything that Web3 and blockchain was going to bring from an innovation standpoint, I had that moment where I was literally wired the entire night, couldn't go to sleep, was searching on the internet. And my way in was gaming because I'm a gamer. And when I really started understanding you know, gamers' abilities to own assets outside of a, a traditional gaming ecosystem, they would actually have real-world market value. They could trade them on the blockchain, et cetera. At that point, I knew I wanted to make my career in crypto gaming. I'm very bullish on it. And it's funny, Joe and I, we go way back in the gaming industry. And so when I met Grant through my connections, it was just kind of like this symbiotic thing between Grant and Joe and myself, where we're all gamers, we're all blockchain guys, and we just wanted to find a really unique, one-of-a-kind game that you know that we could market and bring to the masses and launch. And so. That's so awesome. And I guess I have to update my background. Hopefully you guys will give me a reprieve. But we were just had NFTLA and we were just talking about how gaming is such a great entry point for mass adoption of blockchain and NFT technologies. And by the way, Jeff and I have been to BlizzCon before. We had a product at one point in the past that sold out there. And, and culture is so relevant to gaming. And, and anyone that's been to a BlizzCon and understands that. And so you guys are bringing that sort of perspective to the table, which is really exciting. So looking at Azumi World, how does it exactly bring together AR, the metaverse, pop culture, and NFTs? Tell us more. Jamie, jump in, bud. It's the thing you love talking about. It's all you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, at its heart, it's a geolocation game. So what we're really excited about and what we think is going to make it unique is that this is a blockchain game that people are going to be able to go outside and play. And so what it's really doing is it's through the AR technology, people will go out, they're going to be able to capture a Zoomy on their phone. And when you're capturing a Zoomy, essentially what you're doing is you're minting an NFT. Every Zoomy is an NFT. And then when you capture a team of a Zoomy, then you're going to be able to actually start battling some sort of like a turn-based strategy style of gaming. And so then that's essentially going to be the whole progression between AR, NFTs, and then the, the play-to-earn gaming component. Because every time when you battle, you're going to be battling for in-game trainer tokens. Oh, that's amazing, man. Like, so first off, just coming from a gaming background, let's just start there, right? This is too few and far between, I think, for the space right now. And the folks that have that background and are bringing that to the table feel like they are just leaps and bounds ahead of folks that are starting from just the world of crypto, blockchain, NFTs and trying to kind of figure out the gaming side of it in process, right? There's something there about that intensive gaming background. You see it with like Animoca brands and other guys too, right? That have that rich background. And so, you know, I'm curious, you know, Joe, from your perspective, man, bringing that to the table, like how does that influence your thinking here? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's like one thing that I noticed in the space more than anything else is people 
that have kind of like grown from the crypto side, right? That aren't not necessarily from the gaming end, like investors and all these different VCs and other founders that are kind of coming in, like they're really into the crypto side, right? They're really into blockchain. They're really into NFTs. They love it. But the flip side of this, and from my experience is gamers really don't like crypto right now, full transparency. Right. Like I can go and find every influencer that I've worked with in the space or go find any article. I mean, we saw what happened with Ubisoft and how much of a disaster that was. Right. A lot of these gamers, they're just, they're like, yeah, I don't know. I'm worried about this. Now they see all these bad projects, these pyramid schemes, the Ponzi schemes, like the cash grabs, and they look at it from that lens when, and realistically, you know, that's not really what, you know, blockchain gaming is. Right. They're looking at all these bad apples and they're starting to be like, okay, well, you know, this is not really my thing or I don't really like it or it hurts the environment. And they have all these, different stigmas attached to it. Right. And, you know, coming from my, that background of me seeing that lens, I go, okay, well, how do we change that? A lot, and a lot of it's education, right? It's educating people on what NFTs are. It's just not your board eight profile picture you see everybody doing, right? It's essentially ownership, right? It's ownership on the blockchain I mean, being able to own your assets and do what you want with them. You know, gamers haven't been empowered in a long time. These AAA developers that we've worked with, right? Like they struggle across the board, truly really empower their communities and have games that last a long time. And a lot of it is just kind of like a blind lens nowadays, because there's all this capital, all this money, right? So, you know, we were switching gears over into this end, bringing our gaming experience. The first thing I said to a lot of the people in the space that I've been advising for for you in the last year, let alone, you know, what we're doing on Zoomy was switch your scope, realize that you might be a crypto person, but traditional gamers really aren't. How are you going to bridge that gap? How are you going to bring the gamers to the masses and bridge that, that, uh, that area to them where they're like, okay, I get this, I get to own it, but it's game first, right? I care about the game first. And now I can layer in those crypto assets and be like, okay, this makes more sense now. Like this, you guys are not just trying to do this to sell NFTs. You're trying to build a game, right? You're trying to build a game that's fun. And then on top of it, now I can own my assets. I can explore the world of DeFi. And that's, I think, really where our lens kind of adds a lot of value is we see what the bad was in gaming, right? Because, you know, it's not perfect. The microtransactions, the free-to-play models that everybody hates, you know, we don't want that to come over to the crypto side. And I think that lens that we bring, you know, really harbors a lot of, uh, you know, value to, you know, those that are a little bit more into the crypto that dive in and understand it from, you know, that perspective, but might not see, you know, the grand picture of what gamers are saying right now. Yeah. The idea that form follows function, right? Not the reverse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely part of what I love about what you guys are doing is that you are doing stuff in the AR space, which is really exciting place to be. You know, we had Superworld as one of our first guests and we were talking about AR and that was one of our first exposures as a podcast to kind of the incredible potential, like the interesting stuff going on there. And you guys are bringing NFT into that. You know, we've seen Pokemon Go and Niantic and everything that's going on there. Can you talk a little bit more about how you're kind of carving a niche for yourself here as you compare to, you know, what's going on with Niantic, for example, or, or just even in NFTs in general, like how there's a niche for NFTs with it, with an AR that's interesting? Yeah. It's one of the reasons that I was so excited to join this project because if there's anything marketers love, it's a unique business model that we can lean into to market because it makes our jobs so much easier. And what I think is great about this is I think we're seeing this right now. Most of the success that's happening in the Web3 gaming space right now is coming from Web3 native companies. I think a lot of the Web2 native companies are still trying to figure things out. And I think there's other reasons for it too. Yeah, I was talking with someone about this the other day. And another advantage a lot of these Web3 native gaming companies have is they don't have existing fan bases. They're coming into this from scratch. And the people who are adopting their games are Web3 people 
or people who get it versus having to worry about what an ex- how an existing fan base is going to um you know going to react to this web3 innovation from these web2 companies. So I think when we look at what is our unique space relative to the Niantics of the world and the other AR component um you know activations in the world I think for us is we want to be the first and the best um, AR blockchain play to earn game that's going to uh, going to be in the market. Talking about AR, we have our forthcoming Living Tree NFT collection, which we haven't released yet or minted yet. But we did create some AR prototypes that we showcased at NFTLA. And just, yeah, this is the first of all, let's get some Living Trees in your domain, please. Let's do that. Love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Love let's it. go. <laughs> but also just the incredible fun, you know, we and other people had, you know, just that experience of like, oh, wow, I can plant a tree in my space. I can look at it. I can explore it. I can walk around it. I can navigate. I can have fun with friends and videos. I mean, I just even the general sense of getting outside <laughs> and right. incorporating that with gaming is a really fun aspect. Yeah, no, I think that's the cool part, though, like with AR, right? I mean, you know, before the pandemic hit, I mean, Pokemon Go, I remember, and I used to take the train to work because I, I worked downtown in finance and, you know, the train would be packed in the morning. And then and typically it always was, right? People going to work in the city, but then there was just even more. And I was curious, I'm like, what is going on? And it's all these people going to these like Pokestops downtown, right? And they're going crazy and they want to play this this whole AR thing. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. I mean, there's people even more than I've ever seen. I mean, Millennium Park downtown had, you know, tens of thousands of people because they're trying to catch something legendary. And I was like, this is really cool. People are outside, people are exploring. And for me, that was kind of like my moment too. I started playing my daughter. She's obsessed with playing AR games. She just likes being able to see like something that she created and being put into like a virtual world. Right. So I was like, okay, this is really cool. And that's how the whole thing came about with the Zoomy. When I first saw it, I was like, man, we've been just cooped up inside now for, for the last couple of years. I was like, you know, that technology is so promising because there's so much you can do with it. And there's so much untapped potential, you know, let's, what can we do with it? Right. And that's where this Genesis kind of came to be. We're like, all right, we can really do this. We can have ownership, you know, to the part with the living trees, right? Okay. That's sweet. You can start building whatever you want inside the space and you can see it and you can own it and you can show it off to your friends. And you know, that's the really cool part about all of this, you know, and on top of it too, Hey, doesn't hurt to get some exercise and go outside after we've been staring at screens for the last two years, you know? Yeah, right. For sure, man. It's been crazy too to me that AR, I mean, the fundamental infrastructure has been there for like a decade. If I was yeah. playing with like little AR games, like literally in like 2010, where you kind of point your phone at a dollar bill and it comes alive and a patriotic song comes on and all this like funny stuff, right? And I was always just amazed at, at how long it's taken really for it to come to point where maybe it's ready for mass market adoption to bring the mainstream in. And I'm, I'm curious, guys, like, how are you thinking about that? How are we going to bring folks into the fold so that this thing is mainstream, that it is reaching the mass market? Yeah. So there's going to be a few components to that. First of all, obviously with AR, it's a game you play through your smartphone. So with the smartphone penetration, we think that's going to make it very easy. But then there's going to be a couple other things as well, too, where, you know, if you look at a lot of the play to earn games that are out there right now, there are pretty intimidating on ramps, especially for people who aren't crypto savvy. And there are some free-to-play options, but a lot of them, you have to buy some pretty expensive NFTs before you can even start playing the game. And so what's going to be unique about Azumi World, or not unique, but um, compelling, is that it's going to be free to start playing. You literally can go out into the world and start capturing Azumi at no cost. And then when you capture Azumi, they're going to be NFTs, etc. And then we're also doing things like uh, fiat on-ramps. So if folks aren't necessarily fluent in the uh, crypto wallets, they can onboard via fiat. And then we're also, Grant and his team on the development, they're embracing a lot of conventions that are more akin to 
traditional games from a UI UX perspective too. So you don't have to be crypto native or crypto savvy in order to pick up this game and start playing. Yeah. And to add on to that too, I mean, it's really a bridge, right? Like you, you saw this mass influx of gamers coming into this AR marketplace, you know, with different games, you know, more in particular Pokemon Go, you know, a couple of years ago, right? And the way that we kind of like looked at this and saw it was like, all right, anybody can play that, right? Like I said before, my daughter plays it. She's nine, right? You know, and on top of that too, like, you know, I'm 30 and I'm playing it. And I know other people that are in their 40s playing it. Like you just have this massive base that just enjoys playing fun things that allow them to connect with other people. So that's like a bridge into this world. Like, okay, there's a lot of success there, right? AR technology, you know, to your point was better for a while. I mean, Amazon has it now too. And I think that's actually the coolest thing to figure out if stuff fits in your house. I use that constantly. But from a gaming perspective, right? It's just this new, this next iteration, you know, it could still be leveled up. Like we've barely scratched the surface of AR tech. And the game is almost hyper casual in a way where, you just have a mass amount of people that are interested in playing these types of games and going outside and learning, right? It just makes sense. Like there's just so much synergy there to kind of start bridging that gap. Like crypto gaming needs a bridge to get the traditional gamers on board. And we just kind of see this entire product packaged together, you know, free to play, focused on gameplay. It's getting you outside. It's connecting with your friends, connecting with your neighbor that you didn't even know probably played video games, right? Because you never see them. You've been inside for two years, right? It's this whole thing, this whole genesis together to start bringing two, three billion people that play games. Well, let's talk a little bit more specifically about what you guys have cooking, because I know you're set to launch the Azumi World Trainer Pass NFTs. What's all that about and how can our listeners participate? Yeah. So we're still nailing down what exactly the distribution for those will be. But if they join our Discord and follow us on Twitter, they're going to know as soon as we nail that down. But in terms of the trainer pass NFTs, that is really going to be a reward mechanism for our early supporters. They're going to essentially be a package of assets that come with the purchase of that NFT. Uh, they're going to get exclusive access to our beta when that launches later this year. They're going to get an Azumi and it could be of any rarity level, including a potentially a legendary rarity, which is going to be the most rare. We have a two token economy in Azumi world. And we're going to be airdropping 4% of our total token supply of both tokens to all NFT and the trainer pass NFT holders over the next 12 months. And they'll be vesting into it one month at a time, one twelfth of their portion over the next 12 months. And then there's going to be other benefits too. We're going to be distributing what we call mystery boxes, which they're going to be sort of like digital, digital airdrops. They might have an Azumi NFT in there. Uh, they might have some other in-game assets like bait or potions, et cetera. And they're going to get a new mystery box every single month as well too. So that's kind of a high level overview that's going to be part of the of the trainer pass yeah you know on top of that too like you know the way that we're viewing the trainer pass as a whole is you know these are our these are our core people of our community like we want people to be buying into the idea like we're gamers this is built for gamers that's why i'm doing this right so i mean jamie are doing this we want these guys to really be that that focal point in our mouthpiece to what they want like we want to build what they want so you know this gives them you know unparalleled access to just us or we're going to be doing different community events just to talk with them, understand what they're looking for. What do they like? What do they hate? And really adjusting the game based off of kind of what they think and how they feel, right? Because I want to empower gamers again. And that's the big thing that's kind of been lacking, you know, in the AAA space where I come from for the last couple of years, even probably the last five to 10 years, depending on who you ask. And that's what we're really looking at. It's like, okay, you know, let's get these guys in. You guys are participating. You guys are buying our NFT pass. You're getting all these incredible perks and all this utility. But now you're going to also have access to us in a specific community it's going to help build this game over time. Yeah, we call that co-creation, right? Because at the end of the day, everyone talks a big game about community. 
But when you're actually like literally get those members of the community like into the mix in these micro decisions, that's a whole other level of, yep. of engagement. And it feels like co-creation is the best word to describe that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. hundred percent. And that's the cool part, right? Too. It's like you said, the hard part is being able to give enough access to what's going on when you're building a game, right? Like there's this whole thing kind of in the space right now where people are like, oh, well, you wouldn't tell somebody who's never built a car before how to build a car. It's like, yeah, but these are gamers, right? Gamers have been playing games for years. They understand what they like, and what they don't like. So let's figure out a way for all of us to work together. And like you said, build a community. And it's a thing that people talk a lot about. It's always, they're always talking a big game, but you know, coming from that space and having built some big communities of Discord myself and, you know, working in these different, you know, AAA publishers, I'm like, all right, you know, we can do this. I know how to done it, do it because we've done it before. So let's bring everybody together and start figuring that out. Yeah. And exciting to get people over there in your Discord. We'll give more details then later. Jamie just jumped into our Discord too, though. If you want to go in there and say hi, I'm sure he'll snatch you up and bring you over to theirs. <laughs> Great to have you in there as one of our uh, local celebrities. Izumi Token launch is coming up here soon next. And just want to see if there's any deets you could share about that utility features, you know, what to look out for. Yeah, it actually, the Azumi token drafts really nicely off what, what Joe was just saying. So our ability to really get our community involved to help us evolve the game, make updates to the game, et cetera, a lot of that's going to be driven through the Azumi token because the Azumi token is going to be the governance token. Whereas the other token is going to be a trainer pass token, which is going to launch officially when the game launches. Think of that more as the in-game currency. That's what you're going to be battling for, et cetera, and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so the Zumi token is going to be the governance token that's going to give gamers a say in how we do updates, et cetera. Very cool. Yeah. And as we've been in, in this launch pad, Luna with the Animoca brands folks as well, and just seeing all the intricacies in, in setting up tokenomics as well. Appreciate everything you guys are doing to make that functional. I was going to ask a question about that, just on the tokenomics side, guys. Like, how did you work on that? Did you work on that completely in-house? Did you work with third parties to help develop your approach there? It's, it's definitely a question that comes up a lot as we talk to folks yeah. who are working on projects. Curious for our listeners how it all came to be. Yeah. So the economy obviously is super in part important. You know, one thing I learned over the last 10 years is gamers like to break shit. Let's just be real, right? And they can break economies pretty quickly. You saw with Diablo back in the day when they had their whole auction house. So, you know, it's one of those things you have, you can't, you know, just whip it up. Say, oh yeah, two tokens, let's go, right? So what we did was we worked with an, a third party called Ofer Labs, who are, both of them have master's degrees. You know, both of them are actual economists, but both of them been in crypto for three or four years. And it's a two-man team, but they're probably some of the most intelligent people I've ever worked with in my entire life that just really understand the intricacies, right? And we went through a long process of different types of models. Like, do we want a two-token a model? What about a single model with utility? What if there's a centralized currency on top of a secondary, you know, decentralized currency? Like, how are we all going to work this together when it's in the economy itself, right? These trainer tokens, you know, and you're burning them, how does that work, right? Because you have to have some sort of burn mechanism with NFTs, right? And really understanding the intricacies within the economy to really flush this out. So, you know, when we go to launch, right, we can have stability. And that I think is the hardest part for a lot of games nowadays that are starting to come out is the stability within their economy. It can make or break a game, right? If it goes down really big and you lose all that volume or the volume increases, everything goes down and just kind of literally lowers the value of the token. And on a related point, you know, this came up a lot at NFTLA that distinguishing play to earn from play and earn. I know play yeah. to earn is the more common lexicon, but it really does sound like you guys are looking at sustainability. Did those terms sort of come up in conversation is the idea of how people earn 
sort of a key component of the tokenomics? Yeah. So parents, you hear the way that I look at the current models, I really don't like most of them, to be honest with you, because there's two different models, right? You have the play to earn. So if you're going to build using that model, you have to focus on the earning aspect, right? And it's less more on the gameplay, like your Axie Infinity. It's not really gameplay focused. It's how much can I earn per day, right? The play and earn, you're supposed to be bringing back in the gameplay aspect where earning is kind of secondary, but still kind of front and center. So when we were looking at all these different models, we're like, all right, what do we really want to be? And it's a game first. So not that earning secondary completely, but in theory it is. Like you're owning your assets, you're still competing for token, you can still be rewarded for playing, but then on the same time too, if you just want to play the game to play the game, you can't. You don't have to worry about all the extra layers of the crypto, right? You can just play the game you want, you have your trainer token, you play how you want to play, you can level up your Azumis, you can go, you know, just catch as many as you want. But the minute that you really get into the game and you want to explore the NFT marketplace, you want to explore staking, you want to explore all the DeFi aspects of the game, you can. And that was something that I pushed really hard for was how can we make this simplistic enough for gamers to not be scared, but at the same time to have enough intricacies to get crypto people interested. Sounds like we need to come up with a new sort of phrase here, Joe, like, you know, play the game, have fun and make money if you want to. (laughs) Right. Play and own is the one that I like to call like play and own, right? You're playing the game. That's the first part, but you own your assets and you can do what you want with them, right? It's kind of the easiest way to do it. But everyone just lumps everything together with play to earn. You just see P2E everywhere and goes, oh, yeah, so you're going to earn money playing a game. Because not really, yes, but no at the same time. Whoever sells anyways should be played a hodl, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. We'll right. coin that. We'll put living trees in and then we'll, uh, we'll put that right there on the side of the tree. Copyright, copyright. That's That's right. Right. Exactly. I just well, got my look. new marketing campaign. Yeah. You got it, man. You got it, James. <laughs> so we're talking about playing. We're talking about all these exciting things. When will the beta version be ready for folks to jump in and play? When can our listeners you know, get in the mix? Q4 of this year is when our beta is going to go live. Nice. That's definitive, brother. It is. Not we believe, not we think. It is going to go live in Q4. You heard it here. That's awesome. There's, there's, you know, we got three months to work with there. So that's plenty of flex, right? So what else be ready at the beginning of Q3? <laughs> six months. I got six. Months. I think yeah, that, don't, I don't, don't shorten our timeline too much. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, who knows how the market would react to that? There'd be some people on both sides of the fence, I'm sure. So what can you tell us about the Azumi World Roadmap overall? Yeah, so we have a pretty in-depth roadmap. If they visit azumiworld.com, they can see all the details there. I can give you high level. We have some pretty significant beats on a quarterly basis. So Q2 of this year in a couple months, we're going to be doing our trainer pass NFT sale. And then uh, Q3, we're going to be doing the Azumi token launch. And then Q4 is all about the beta. And then Q1 of next year is the game launch. So that's really the key moments we're looking at for our roadmap. Amazing. And when are you releasing your hardware product? The uh, glasses, the Zoomy glasses? Is that what it is? Or is that, no? Zoomy glasses? <laughs> so the, no, no. no, 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 no. It's, it's something we looked at. But I think a lot of big tech companies have seen the pitfalls of their VR, AR glasses. And <laughs> so we're going to put that one on the farther roadmap and wait for someone else to come up with some mass adoption strategies for that. There you go. All right. But the real question, guys, let's talk about the merch roadmap because like these are some cool (laughs) characters. It's got a dope name. That's what I really want to know about. Yeah, we're definitely working on a merch roadmap. We don't have anything specific laid out yet, but it's going to be, it's definitely going to come fairly soon. I don't want to promise a specific date, but this game is tailor-made for merch. 
And so we've definitely everything from like plush toys to wearables to, to other things as well. So Jamie, <laughs> you don't want to put a roadmap on merch, but you put a roadmap on the actual development of the game. Yeah, you know, like, hey, just for these you guys, do it. we'll add merch to the roadmap moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be selling merch on our website for your project. Yes. So anyways, Q5 22 for that merch should be fine. You, <laughs> don't, you can commit to that, I think. So before we wrap up this portion of the interview, we always like to get an idea what other projects in Web3 and NFT inspire our guests. What would you like to share? I can take that one first. And Joe's going to laugh at me because I already know, know where this is going. He's going to say Splinterlands. Here it comes. I, I am a Splinterlands junkie. I love strategy card games. It's actually one of the reasons I'm so excited about the gameplay of Azumi World with the turn-based strategy approach but I play a lot of Splinterlands. I love the way they have their economy set up. I think their card burning system in order to level up is brilliant and it's deflationary for their assets. But I think most importantly, it's just a fun game to play. If you're into card strategy games, they've nailed the game. Yeah, we had Agroid on the show. Did you guys check out that show that we interviewed him? Yeah, uh-uh, I missed that one. I need to check it, out. check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the archives. It's a good one. And you know, just from that conversation, you realize the depth of a passion and vision that that team has and, and where he's going with all this. It, it's pretty epic. It's worth checking out. And they also spoke at a panel at NFTLA. What about you, Joe? Yeah. So, I mean, Jamie has kind of brought me into the Splinterlands world. Up until that point, I wasn't super happy with many games. I spent a lot more on stuff on the kind of like the DeFi aspects of you know the crypto world, but really amped up for this other project that I've been following and watching through Dr. Disrespects and his new Midnight Society Studio. It hasn't been announced yet. They're, they just started doing the Founder Pass, but he's a mega star in the gaming space. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's doing there. And hopefully we get some other, you know, more exciting games that, you know, kind of focus on the play versus the earn that I can sink my teeth into because I'm not a big uh, card collector type player. I prefer the shooters, right? Big Call of Duty, big Call of Duty guy right here. Well, right on, fellas. Look, super excited about everything you're working on. I'm going to keep my eye on that roadmap as we approach Q4 so we can jump in the mix here with you. We wanted to shift gears a little bit at this moment and head into segment two of this show, which we call Edge Quick Hitters. Basically, it's a fun, quick way to get to know you guys a little bit better. Ten set questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but we may dive a little deeper to explore some more here or there. You guys ready to dive in? Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Question number one, Jamie, we'll start with you. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Okay. I'm going to date myself here, but I remember using my birthday money and putting a $20 bill in the mail and buying the 1982 complete tops football card set. Brother. That's nice. (laughs) Wait, do you still have that? Oh, I absolutely still have it. All right. Awesome, man. Awesome. Beautiful. (laughs) That is how it used to be done, man. That's amazing. Joe, how about you? It's actually a 25 cent gumball at Walmart when I was really, really young. That's the first thing I ever purchased. 25 cents that my grandmother had given me. And they're like, the gum's going to be old. It's going to be stale. I was like, I don't care. I just want to watch the ball <laughs> swirl all the way down. So that's the first thing I've ever purchased. All about the experience, man. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> question number two, Jamie, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? It's a good question. Probably my effort because I remember doing the school walkathon. When I was in first grade and going door to door and getting pledges. Loan services at an <laughs> early age. Amazing. <laughs> Yo, how about you, man? So mine actually it took a while for me to actually go sell something like in a physical way. But I sold a 19, I think it was 1970s Honda CT70 mini bike. It was a bunch of spare parts that my dad had in his garage. I put it all back together, redid the engine, put a new carburetor on it, cleaned it all up and, and sold it. 
Rock and roll. Wow, Jamie, it sounds like your partner Joe here has like a pretty photographic memory. Yeah. I wonder if that's a come into the mix in collaboration. You got to be careful for this guy. Yeah, no, I'm taking note. I need to be careful what I say and promise to that guy. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, question number three, Jamie. What is the most recent thing you purchased? I bought 25 Splinterlands Chaos Legion packs last night. Splinterlands, really? What a shock. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Joe, what's that? <laughs> awesome. Joe, how about you? I mean, I'm on vacation, so I just spent a lot of money on K-Barbecue last night, right? Hey, <laughs> That's the last right. thing I purchased. Big fan of K-Barbecue, so... Nice. Okay. Awesome. Question number four, Jamie, what is the most recent thing you sold? Yeah. Before my wife and I started digital nomading two months ago, we sold our couch so we didn't have to store it. Good call. <laughs> Joe, how about you? A Solana NFT. Interesting. Well, that happened to be on OpenSea. I think we got a hot topic. It wasn't. About that. It wasn't. Ah. It was on Magic Eden. There it is. Okay. Awesome. Question number five, Jamie, what is your most prized possession? Yeah. So I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. And so I have a friend of mine who knew him personally, got him to sign a football for me for my birthday one year. I'm sorry. I got Randall Cunningham. I was going to say, who are we talking about? Randall (laughs) Randall Cunningham. Cunningham. That's amazing, man. That's that's awesome. That is really cool. And I'm guessing you still have that bad boy. Yeah, still currently in your possession. Awesome. Yeah. I'm getting buried with it. Yeah. Beautiful. Joe, how about you? I have an old American flag from my grandfather from World War II. Oh, man. That is awesome. Is he uh, in the army or uh, where was he serving? Yeah, he was in the army. He was in the mm-hmm. army. He was in the Pacific War, so he's out towards uh, more towards Japan. But he's got a, a flag and it's got a lot of tears, very brittle, mm-hmm. some other stuff on it. So that awesome. means a lot. Yeah, man, I bet. Amazing. All right, well, Joe, we'll leave with you in the second half of these questions here. Question sure. six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you have your eye on? Wow, that's a great question. Right now, it's going to be such a cliche crypto answer, but I just keep buying more Ethereum, to be completely honest with you. All right. Easy one. Easy one for sure, I think. And Jamie, how about you? I'd like to buy an NFL football team. So I think there's a Dow out there trying to buy the Denver Broncos right now. So I guess I'll buy the Broncos. Hey, hey, all right. There we go. (laughs) Nice. Very good. Joe, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Hustle. Without a doubt, hustle. I have all my, I'm the oldest on my side of the family. And some of the younger generation just doesn't have, they just don't have hustle. Just the hustle. Absolutely. There it is. Jamie, how about you? That's a good question. Probably my willingness to check my ego at the door when I'm working with the team. Be more focused on accomplishing the goal than being right. Yeah, man. Great answers, guys. Question number eight, Joe. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Oh, God. Wow. That's a good one. I think it's one of those things where I've worked in startups my whole life. So I think it would be great to kind of, you know, I would have the younger generation, like when you're doing all these projects, you don't always have to be so lasered into everything and kind of have a little bit more faith in some of the other people that you're working with, even though you're running the startup, right? Yeah, man, that's a hard thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's tough. It's like your baby and you're just like, I don't want to give up. You know, like, I trust you. We're going to work together, but I got to let you handle this. I got two other stuff, too much other stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Jamie, how about you? Probably kind of in the same vein to what Joe said. For me, it'd probably be kind of my perfectionism. I think sometimes yeah. it's okay to make mistakes as you're uh, trying to get to a solution. Yeah, man. You win or you learn, right? That's yeah. It. All right. Question number nine, a little easier. Joe, what'd you do just before joining us on the podcast? <laughs> I was, I'm on vacation. So I was out to lunch at uh, this place down the street called Moonshiners. All right. Nice. Jamie, how about you? 
So Joe's on vacation. I'm working. I just did a status call with the marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> the contrast. All right. Last one. Question 10, Joe, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Probably go back to moonshiners for a nice <laughs> drink. <laughs> Where are we at with you, Jamie? I'm going to go work out. All right. Hey, there we go. Okay. A <laughs> little better. Nice. All right, guys. Well, look, that's Edge Quick Hitters. Thanks so much for sharing with us. We do appreciate it. Word on the street is we have some top hot topics to hit. Ethan, what do you say? I say, let's go get some barbecue. No, sorry. Uh, (laughs) uh, The first one, Twitter founder Jack Dorsey's first tweet offered for not $4.8, $4.8 million, no, $48 million on NFT Marketplace. (laughs) A digital copy of the first ever tweet by Twitter Inc., Co-founder Jack Dorsey has been offered for almost $48 million on OpenSea, 16 times what the owner paid for it a year ago. Sina Estavi, chief executive officer of the Malaysian blockchain service Bridge Oracle, announced on Twitter that he put the NFT version up of the March 21, 2006 tweet saying, just setting up my Twitter up for sale for 14969 Ether. He paid $2.9 million for it in March last year. Hey, you know, as is the tradition with OpenSea, you can price anything however you like. <laughs> I just don't know if this is going to happen unless he's got a buyer lined up or something. I don't know. You're going to go for it. Nobody mentioned that in there. What would you buy if you could buy anything in the world? <laughs> Jack Dorsey's first tweet. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of other things that I could spend that kind of money on that doesn't involve a tweet. Is there utility? Do I get to like own Twitter if I buy the tweet? That's funny, right? It doesn't seem like there's even any utility. That's, yeah. Maybe you get to sit on the board with Elon. Yeah, who knows? Well, Elon turned it down. Oh, he did. He did. He turned the board seat down. He did. Or the NFT. Oh, the board seat. Okay. Yeah. The board seat. The board seat. (laughs) So, So I think there's some context there. Well, first of all, I would rather buy some Twitter stock over by far above this. But, but, you know, when you have a board seat, my understanding, and don't quote me on this, guys, is that you're restricted to a maximum of 15% of the company in terms of acquisition. So there may be some foreshadowing there to why he turned that down. It's interesting. I thought you were going to say you're restricted to a maximum of 15 tweets or something. <laughs> like, well, that's not fair. Oh, Elon's in trouble then. He needs to pump up more doge, man. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Interesting move there. Yeah. And you look, you can list NFT for anything. Maybe there's something to just grabbing the headline where there's a bunch of eyes on Twitter right now with so many fun things happening. So you never know. I mean, hey, the, the price may have uh, gone up just based on that uh, action on Twitter anyway, right? It's a good point. The NFT at least holds the value that it can make headlines and, you know, make the news by just being posted on OpenSea. Jamie, PR. write that in your marketing handbook. <laughs> price price in a zoomie at like 1 million ether just to get headlines yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love it. we'll be talking about it guys uh, <laughs> nice. all right done next next on the on the block here crypto trading platform etoro launches 20 million dollar nft fund as industry approaches inflection point interesting the fund will support new digital art and a first step toward broader expansion of nft investment services Pushing into NFTs will allow the company to expand and diversify its investor base and business partnerships, according to U.S. Managing Director Guy Hirsch. Well, I guess, yeah, this makes sense. I'm actually thinking of companies like Etour, they could have done this sooner, I suppose, right? But it certainly makes sense at this point. Yeah. 
I was wondering why they were, we had a lot of discussions with them and have seen them at, at a lot of events recently. And there really hasn't been much in way of announcements about their activity in the NFT space. And I think we were a little curious based on some of those conversations as to what their moves would be. You know, what are they going to be doing in the NFT space? They showed a lot of interest in a bunch of different contexts. So it's cool to see them announce this and, uh, and actually got to dip their toes in. It's not a huge fund, but one that's big enough to, to start to move the needle, especially if it's a, a smaller set of companies that they are uh, involved with. Yeah. And for full disclosure, they did decide to be one of our partners for NFT LA and had a chance to meet the team and, you know, can share just, you know, authentically their passion is there for the creator economy to support and drive inclusivity and comprehensive sort of possibilities for creators. And, you know, I think that's a fairly strong point of view for a company that some may perceive as more traditional in nature. And I think it speaks to a broader trend when it comes to bigger companies, whether they're crypto native or non-crypto, entering the NFT space that you cannot enter the space without sort of considering the cultural side. And the cultural side begins with creators. Yeah, the article goes on to say NFTs from some of the blue chip projects in eToro's collection already go for a minimum of hundreds of thousands of dollars on OpenSea. Maybe they could pick up Jack Dorsey's tweet and they'll have something to go for even more. I don't know. Just a uh, just an idea. <laughs> I love seeing this money go to creators. I just, you know, I think the more money that can get, you know, pushed into creators like that, we're just going to see more and more interesting innovations in the world of NFTs. It's really exciting. Yeah. The idea of a fund is, it's something that's, that is very interesting too, just yeah. uh, NFT funds and, and where that yeah. goes. And it's, it's cool to see it. Yeah. Next on the block here, world's largest NFT marketplace opens its doors to Solana blockchain, as we kind of alluded to there earlier. OpenSea has announced a release of the official beta that integrates the Solana blockchain into the world's biggest marketplace. It's a Twitter account stated on April 7th that the Solana blockchain NFTs will be able to be traded for Solana's integration. OpenSea marketplace mostly consists of Ethereum-based NFTs along with Polygon and Clapton blockchains. Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting that they're expanding. It's interesting to see the trends and patterns from firsthand accounts. I think I've tried to trade Polygon NFTs on OpenSea and it's been a little bit of a headache in getting one recently of some art of a friend that I really enjoyed. I just ended up using a credit card just because I was having such a hassle of like converting and waiting for this and that. But it's cool to see these different blockchains making it to such a large audience that you can reach on OpenSea. Yeah, I mean... Magic Eden has been the only player in town when it comes to trading Solana NFTs in a major way. And it'll also be interesting to see what happens here with that dynamic. Magic Eden has shared some of their stats at NFTLA and they've just been growing like crazy. There's definitely a diehard Solana NFT audience. Is it the same audience that trades other NFTs? Are they loyalists to Solana and thus they'll be more loyal to Magic Eden? These are some of the things that I'm curious about. Joe, you just traded a Solana NFT. What's your thoughts on sort of this dynamic and where it might be going next? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what kind of market share OpenSea takes from from Magic Eden. I mean, Magic Eden, like you said, is the only player really in the space. And Solana has a pretty like, pretty large and like, 
strong community with NFTs. Like I know a couple of people that came from the gaming space. That's all they do. They only trade on NFTs. There's a big issue with like tip and typical NFT space where everybody mint something at one slot and then lists it again at 0.9 and just decide to take a haircut right off the rip, which makes no sense. But it's kind of par for the course. But yeah, I'm curious to see where this kind of goes from OpenSea doing it. I mean, it makes sense is the next logical step. The way I look at it, OpenSea is trying to be the biggest marketplace for NFTs across the board and then kind of own the space. So we'll see if they can do it. I like the Magic Eden play because like with a lot of these blockchains, they're relying on a marketplace to be able to be traded on. So I I like one where there's something exclusive to support that blockchain. And I, I think that's a good business decision on behalf, whether they create it themselves or not, these chains that want to, they're trading to be heavily supported to either create their own trading platform or heavily invest in or support some third party that is really exclusive to their NFTs to really make it easy, right? For users. Yeah, I found Magic Eden's platform to be pretty, pretty good, to be honest with you. There's been some issues on minting during their launch pad, but a lot of that was just network congestion for Solana in general, not necessarily on Magic Eden. From my experience, you know, typical for even OpenSea when doing stuff on Ethereum. But I mean, I think the platform is a bit sexier, to be honest. I like the color. I like the look. I like the UI. It's pretty easy to uh, figure stuff out. And to your point, I mean, kind of having stuff separated that's kind of in more of a niche area was also a lot easier because I don't have to, you know, go through a funnel of Ethereum NFTs that have like absolutely no value. Well, there's a culture too to like Solana Mm -hmm. and Magic Eden, whereas OpenSea... You know, the name often says it all when you say the name. It's just kind of like open C, right? There's like a little bit of this G-Gen culture that, that of course, is going to be there and a little bit of just general culture on the homepage. But I think when you look at something like Solana at, and with the people that I meet that are excited about Solana, there's like a community around it that yeah. open C in general doesn't have, well, at least not that I've seen firsthand, like an open C community or something, right? Yeah, completely agree with you. I think that's hot topics, guys. We want to give a little uh, love to some of our fans and listeners, Ethan. I think we've got a a couple of people who want to give a shout out, yeah? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I want to give a shout out to a platform called Ninja Alerts. And that's because one of the founders of this platform, Ninja Alerts, they say they have custom NFT alerts and push notifications for any contractor. Well, it's really kind of one of these services that's going to help you follow like the whales and stuff like that. But what I think is really cool is one of the co-founders they sponsored a Spirit Seed dinner that we had just before NFTLA. And we pulled that together really within like a week before that. And just, just so supportive and excited to be a part of that to get together that we put together. And just and just a general shout out to all the Spirit Seed holders that came out to that event that we had. We had some drinks, we had some dinner, we had some chats and just had some of the coolest people you could really find anywhere all in one place. So my general shout out is to Ninja Alerts for helping to support that event and what we're doing here in general. Nice. Big shout out, Ninja Alerts. And Joe, Jamie, we're just about to wrap the episode here. But before we do, we also want to make sure we direct folks to the right place to follow you guys, to follow everything that's happening with the project. Where should they go to stay on top of things? Yeah. So like every Web3 project, we're about Twitter, Discord, and a website. So you can follow us on Twitter at Azumi World. And then our site is azumiworld.com. And then through both of those destinations, you can link into our Discord where we have some fun things going on there in terms of the community and games and that kind of stuff. All right, beautiful. And word on the street is we have a fun uh, giveaway that's brewing for our listeners. Want to share some deets on uh, what's happening there? Of course, yeah. We're obviously big fans of the Edge of NFT podcast and community. So we wanted to, um, we're going to give away 100 whitelist spots for the upcoming Trainer Pass NFT sale. 
And then we're also going to be giving away five free trainer pass NFTs to five lucky winners. So that's uh, what we're doing. That is amazing. We really appreciate it. Listeners, just keep an eye out on our socials. You get all the deets there for the requirements to enter this giveaway. Thank you so much. Very grateful for that offering. Very, very cool. All right, guys. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.